Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. Forgive me if I'm hacking through this morning's sermon, but I'm very glad to be here with you this morning. Um, This series has been so touching to me. Um, I was telling Michael this morning, uh, I listened, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, the sermons that we do here can be listened to uh, on your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all these types of things, and you can just uh, put them in your, in, your, uh, in your ears as you're driving, and those get updated much quicker than the Sunday after that we do our, our uh, video stream of it. So I got a chance to listen to Michael's sermon and, and it just touched me, man. It was so good. Michael, good job. And uh, <coughs> I'm laying in my bed uh, thinking that Michael might put me to sleep. <laughs> oh, just joking. I'm just joking. No. Uh, no, I was laying in my bed. I'm like, oh, I forgot. I can listen to this now. And I put it in, and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, I'm literally tearing up. And I'm like, this Sermon on the Mount yeah, it was given good. Michael did a good job presenting. But just the message, too, that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount was, is so rich and so good. So I hope that's what you take away from today. Not, not the uh, <clears throat> croaking, sermonizing of a pastor, but the message of Jesus, the greatest sermon ever given in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we are just a little bit past halfway through, and uh, we are uh, in chapter 6 right now, and Michael went through how to pray, the Lord's Prayer, he went and how to fast, and how to give, and man, um, I learned some things that I didn't know about, uh, about hypocrites, about actors, and uh, that was pretty cool, I enjoyed that. But today we're going we're gonna to move into a different section. Jesus is, Jesus is actually calling us in this section to, to choose. He's asking us to choose not just um, a religious system, but a completely, how do I say it, a way of thinking. He's asking us to choose how we think because he deals with topics in this section that we all struggle with. I know I do. Maybe I shouldn't say all, but I, many of us probably have in, the, in some time or other struggled with anxiety. Anybody ever struggle with anxiety? Worry? Nobody else worries in here? Liars. That's what's lying, church. He deals with worry, the way we think about things. And he's asking us to choose one way or the other. So um, let me just give you the big idea for today's sermon is this. We should evaluate our relationship to the treasures of this world and our level of anxiety to see if we might be prioritizing something other than God in our lives. I'll leave that for, up there for a second. Leave that up there for a second. Let that soak in. It's a long, it's a long statement. I am going to make the case today that where you 
put your thought life, where you, where you focus your time, where you focus your um, energies, will either be peace-bringing or anxiety-inducing. Okay? Um, throw that video up. Does anybody ever remember this guy? In the little song I wrote, Mike wants to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Anybody remember this? Raise your hand if you remember this. All the young ones like, they liked this stuff? This guy was a sensation when I was a kid. Look at him. We were simple folk back then, weren't we? We got, we got enjoyment out of a singing plastic fish. And the kids in here are like, what? You guys are lame. I just thought that. When, when, as soon as I started reading this, I'm like, remember the fish? What was it? Billy the Bass or something like that? And he would sing, don't worry, be happy. How many people have ever struggled with that? I mean, it's silly, it's in a song, but I've had, I've had people literally ask me this question. And let's see if it, is anybody judged with this. Everything in your life is going well. Why can't you just be happy? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Thank you so much for asking me that question. I had a counselor uh, ask me a similar question to that, and it was like this profound thing, and oh, I got to think about that. That's a good question. I came home and told my wife, and she's like, I asked you that question, you got mad at me. Yeah, but I wasn't paying you. <laughs> so let's look at... Um, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start right here with verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, oh, wrong page. Okay, here we go. And it says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, that is a, that's a deep statement right there. We're going to need to kind of crack that nut a little bit in a couple seconds. Next, no one can serve two masters since uh, either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, let's just stop there for a second. This first section talks about how, where, you're spo- where you should spend your time building treasure. Now, we know how to build treasure here on earth. That's something that most people start doing at a very young age. Um, we... 
anybody, did anybody start their, who had their first job before they turned 15? Raise your hand. Okay. That's pretty early. Okay. Um, some people start even early. My first job was uh, mowing lawns. And I did that, I think I was probably 13, 12, 13, something like that. I didn't say I did a good job. Uh, the people who hired me to mow the lawn probably were just very friendly. And I don't think they paid me very well either. So, but we, we, start, we, we understand what it means to, to build wealth. And then later on, as we get older, we understand what it means to steal wealth, which we might consider a credit card. Because it's not yours, you're just taking it, letting somebody else pay for it and you're taking it because you need it, and you don't have it, but you want it, so you got to steal it by using somebody else's money. Um, I, that's kind of a harsh. But the concept is we know what we want. Wealth is something that we understand and how we treasure. But how do we build treasure in heaven? That's Because he says, don't build treasure here. Don't store up treasure here. Store it up in heaven. Okay, great. What does that look like? Let me ask you a question. What is the only thing that you can take with you to heaven? Just think about it for a second. So what are some things that you can take with you? There's a story um, that my pastor used to tell like every other week, but I'm going to tell it again. There's a guy... He um, was very wealthy, so he knew he was about to die. So he consolidated all his wealth down to gold bricks. Okay, gold bricks, put them in a suitcase, and he died. My pastor never explained how this happened. But anyway, he took the gold bricks with him to heaven. And St. Peter said, what do you got there? And he said, I got, I got gold bricks. You got gold bricks. He's like, you can't take that in here. He's like, oh, it's just one, it's just one thing. It's, it's basically a carry-on. Just one thing. And he's like, that, that's the one thing you want to bring in here? He's like, yeah, I just got, it's all my, everything I made, all my wealth is it's right in this suitcase. I just want to bring it in. So he's like, all right, I'm going to give you a pass. It seems a little bit ridiculous to me but you can bring your suitcase of gold bricks into heaven. And he opens the door, and the road that he wants to walk on is built on the same thing that he's got in his suitcase. The streets were paved with what he thought was so valuable that he needed to bring. Think about it for a second. This stuff is ridiculous. Heaven is going to be so much different. But, so what, can, what, what is it that we can bring to heaven, we can translate into heaven? You want to bring gold bricks? That's what the pavement is made out of. So how do you store treasures? What's more valuable than earthly wealth? The only thing that I can think of, go ahead, Alberta, you tell me. People. You're smart. The only thing that you can bring to the other side are people. That's the only thing. How often do we spend our money 
gaining wealth and neglecting people. That's what we should be laying our treasures for in heaven. We, as a family, had just kind of bumped into that recently. Um, we've had some thoughts around the idea of our child, children's education and things like that. And we decided we wanted to um, put them in a, in, a, in a Christian school that had, you know, that they were going to be learning Christian principles and all these things. But I'm telling you, it ain't cheap. It's not cheap to do this stuff. <clears throat> so, we had this, uh, so we had this conversation, money, we're trying to balance things. We're like, this, this passage came to our minds. It's like, listen, yeah, it's going to cost. It's probably going to push our retirement funding down the road a little bit. But what are we building? Are we building, you know, what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And I would take it a step further. I mean, I would, this would even kill me even more. What would a profit of man if he gained the whole world and his kids didn't follow him into eternity. We've got to change our priorities, folks. We've got to build treasures in heaven. Invest in people. Invest in relationships. Start building equity in the kingdom that way. Then he goes into this whole very confusing portion where he talks about the eye as a lamp of the body. And it's really like... A, kind of folds over itself quite a bit here. But let's just break it down. It says the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, we can understand that. If you, uh, if you have healthy eyes, you can see everything. If you have unhealthy eyes, those, those lights, the clarity of objects start to dim and, and blur and those types of things. Um, I've, had, I've worn glasses since I was like six years old. I have terrible eyes. I have my contacts on. I mean, literally, you could be standing this far from me, and I wouldn't be able to tell who you are. Like this far. I have terrible eyes. But, and I was, I was actually thinking about this sermon this morning when I was putting my contacts in. I'm thinking, this is a little, a little miracle. I could put that on my eyeball. That's just weird. And I can see well. See, when my eyes are good, it's full of light. I can tell who you are. I can tell what's going on. But when, when your eyes are dark, when your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Now, this is where it kind of gets tricky. It says, so if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, what does that mean? I would say this. It's all about focus. If the, things that you're fo- if the things that you believe are going to be good for you, if the things that you believe are light to you, if the things that you're focusing on are actually darkness, how horrible is that? You're actually focusing on things that are going to destroy. Focus on things that you can't take with you. Focusing on things that will never make you happy. That's, that's, a, that's a place of deep darkness. When the things that you think are light are actually dark, man, that's sad. And I think that's what he's saying here. How deep is that darkness? Because even though your eyes are healthy, you're actually looking 
into darkness to be the light. That's sad. Then he goes on to say this. No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I would say this. It's kind of like the, 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 the apex point here is choose your God. Little G-O-D or big G-O-D. You've got to choose your God. I've been doing a lot of study today uh, in the last few weeks about um, world religions that were, uh, all, you know, all the, sim- I should say, similarities in world religions across the globe. And if you look at them in pagan religions across the, the globe, there are some amazing similarities. And the biggest similarity of all of them is it's all about my prosperity. I serve this God. I do this thing. I say these things. I perform this ritual. I align these buildings to the summer solstice. I do all of these things, whatever it is that was part of that religion. I do that so that I might prosper, so that I might be wealthy, so that I can appease the gods, and I can, I can, I can, I can. It's all about, and if you break it down to this sermon, it's all about wealth building, prosperity, appeasing the gods. It's, all, it's very egocentric. It's very much about me. Jesus' message flips that completely on its head. It's not about you. Michael said it last week. Why do we give? We don't give to be seen by people or to even appease the gods. We give because we've been given to. It's downstream. I love the way he said it. It's downstream from the grace of God. The grace has already been given. We give back because because he's already given. We've already received. It's different. The greatest in the kingdom of God will be who? The servant of all. It's different. We got to choose our God. We got to choose the God. And uh, a great example of this is found in uh, Mark chapter ten. Mark chapter ten. you turn there real quick, chapter 10, verse 17. Everybody's using their phones these days. I used to love that sound, you know. Yeah, if you have a Bible with pages, just make it sound more. And this passage says this, and it really, it really shows this concept of choosing or picking your God. As he was setting out on a journey, a young man ran up. This is talking about Jesus. He knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's some things that are happening. There's some, there's some talk about theater. There's some theater happening here. There's some pageantry happening here. <clears throat> what did he do? He ran up in front of everybody. He knelt down and he said, Good teacher. So Jesus confronts him with all this passion. He says, why do you call me good? And that's kind of a puzzling question from Jesus, isn't it? Like, so what? (laughs) 
Are you not a good teacher? Well, the fact is Jesus is a good teacher. He just wants to know the motives behind why this guy says it. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. So what is he asking? He's like, what are you saying here? When you are calling me good, what are you saying? Is it all about the show, the act, or are you actually identifying me with who I really am? And then he goes on to say, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I can just picture like him, just, ah, I'm that guy. I am. Everybody notice what Jesus just said? Everybody hearing this? I'm the guy. He says, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. And I love, I love Jesus' response here. He says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Think about that for a second. Jesus loved him. Because I don't think he was lying. He probably did from a very early age. He kept these things, and he did these things. But I believe he did them from a pagan perspective, just like all the other world religions. He did them so that he might get something instead of doing it because he'd been given something by God. So Jesus really challenges him. And, and people are like, why, did Jesus, why was Jesus so hard on him? Why was Jesus so hard on him? In just a few more verses, we're going to find out that Jesus is going to tell um, Zacchaeus, that wee little man, that salvation has come to his house today. And he didn't ask Zacchaeus to do this. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you got to give everything you have to the poor. you got to sell it all. Only then will you. He said, no, salvation has come to this house today. So what's the difference between these two very rich men? It's which God they want to serve. The little G-O-D or the capital G-O-D? He says, he looked at him and he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. And then he tells him a bunch of things. <laughs> You're lacking one thing. Go sell all you have, one thing. Give it to the poor, two things, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now, how is that one thing? He said, you lack one thing. You're not serving God. You're just lacking one thing. He tested him. He said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So he, he, was, he got his answer in that whole thing. He didn't really believe Jesus was that good God. Choose. We got to choose. Who are we going to serve? Where are we going to put our time? All right, let's go into the cure. How many of you want to hear? If I put this out in the front on the, on the marquee, I'd probably get a lot of people talking about it. The cure for anxiety. They'll be like, yeah, this guy's a snake oil salesman. Matthew 6, 25. Here we go. 
Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. That's a big statement. That's a big thing. That's a big ask. Don't worry about your life. I'm in trouble. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can, you, um, can you, any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes, ladies? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. <laughs> Why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. I just had a thought right now about this. Think about this for a second. He said, not even Solomon in all his splendor. How would he know that? Because he was there. In fact, he probably looked at Solomon in his, in his excess and was like, gross. Think about it. That's not how he was, Solomon was supposed, to, was supposed to act. All of Solomon's excess, he's like, man, look at those flowers. They're better looking than that weirdo. I mean, look at I me. Mean, sometimes we, we get so, I won't go in there. That's a soapbox we don't need to go to today. I just had that thought. It's like, wow, he knew that the flowers were well adorned above Solomon because he was there. He saw it all. Verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. Now, Jesus uses that a lot of uh, quite a few times in Scripture. You of little faith. He said, so don't Worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles, right? This is an interesting statement. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided, will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Now, I love the way he ends this, because it brings it home to our reality. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's not saying you're not going to have troubles from day to day. He's not saying that. He's saying, when troubles do come, where does your hope lie? Is it in the system of worship that the Gentiles have? Remember I was talking about the, 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 the religious systems from all pagan religions? He's, when he's he talking about that, he's talking about Gentile religions. Their God is one way, my God is the other way. Who are you going to choose? The one is going to stress you out, weigh you down, 
and make you completely unsure of your future. The big G-O-D will give you peace, will walk through the difficulties that come from day to day, and assures your eternal destination. Where are we going to put our time and effort? That's where worry comes. Let me ask you a question. Is your God good? That's the question you have to ask. If, is your God good? Now, you can't just say yes to that answer because it depends on which God you're actually worshiping. Now, pastor... You're making this very difficult because I, have, I, I love God and then I also have anxieties. and I, I, I worship God, but then, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of over here. I get it. I get it. I do too. But what I want to do and what Jesus is trying to call us to in this Sermon on the Mount is a pure religion. A simple, like I said, a simple religion of where does our help come from? Where are we putting our time? Where are we putting our efforts? Where's our hope stand? We have to be less about what we worry about, and we have to be more about what is on the heart of God. Okay, if your God is inanimate, then he doesn't have the capacity to be good or bad. Think about that for a second. If your God is money or possessions or things or a wooden idol you've set up in your house, it doesn't have the capacity to be good or bad. It's dead. It's nothing. It is actually subject to the laws of this world and the manipulations of people. That is absolutely worrisome. If your God can be manipulated by the systems of this world and people, then yeah, you should be worried. <laughs> It's not a very big God. If we are looking at material wealth or stuff to bring us joy, then we don't have the, uh, and we don't have those things, we often feel discontent with our lives and discontented with God in general. I think it's interesting that sometimes we worship a different God and then we're discontented with that God and we put it on the real God. Where were you? I've been here the whole time. You've been going down that route. I've been here. You've been worshiping that other thing. I've been here. What did that passage say? You can't serve God in money. What? You'll either love the one and hate the other. So when we, when we go after the little G-O-D, the stuff of this world, and we set it up on a pedestal and say, this is going to make me happy, this is going to fulfill me, and it doesn't happen, we go, God, what happened? He's like, I can't help you there, pal. Follow me. Get rid of that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't let, it, don't let it have any control over you and follow me. That's what he said to the rich young ruler. That's what he's saying to us. But if God is your focus of devotion, the uh, capital G-O-D, and he is indeed the God that Jesus describes, worry is actually pointless and truth is well-based. When our focus is on him and we allow him to provide us what we need, then we marvel at him and his provision. You can't 
serve God, and stuff. Joshua, it says, choose you this day whom you will serve. It's the same question. The same question that Joshua was putting before the Israelites, Jesus put before the rich young ruler. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We also have to understand that God is not some hater of the material world. We must live some sort of we must live some sort of monastic lifestyle that shuns any and all comfort and pleasure. That's not the God of the Bible. Let me under, help you understand this. Okay, um, commenting on Jesus's commands not to worry, N.T. Wright says this: Jesus, Jesus is, I should say, Jesus's whole spiritual spirituality is many miles from those teachers who insisted that the present world was a place of shadow, gloom, and vanity, and that true philosophy consisted in escaping it and uh, concentrating on the things of the mind. You know, there's this whole monastic lifestyle, this whole um, stoic understanding that the flesh is bad. You know, there's extremes that the flesh is bad. Anything in this world that is material is bad. Let me just ask you a real quick question. Who made it? So what you're saying in essence is that God made bad stuff. No. We've corrupted God's good stuff. We've worshipped the creation rather than the creator. Right? That's what we've done from the beginning. That's what we're doing today. Jesus, on the other hand, says... He's not talking about a God who is distant from this world, who doesn't care about beauty and life and food and clothes. He's talking about a creator himself who has filled the world with wonderful and mysterious things, full of beauty and energy and excitement, and who wants his human creations, above all, to trust him and love him and receive their own beauty, energy, and excitement from him. That's the world that God created. And that's what he wants for his for his kids. Um, when he's describing the things in that section, which is, you, you know, don't worry about clothes. Right? What is he comparing it to? He's like, Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed as this beautiful flower over here. He's like, don't worry about that stuff. I'm not going to give you like rags. Well, I guess I'm going to have to live like a monk and just have one piece of clothes my entire life. That doesn't sound like a flower to me. That's not not the God we understand in the scriptures. He loves to give good gifts to his children. He just doesn't want you to set your hearts on them. So the answer is to just trust God. So is the answer to just trust God, go with the flow, let God take care of you and just float through life like some kind of hippie? I don't know. Live in a van down by the river? I don't know. Is that what God's calling us to do? Just, you know, drift through life? Well, not really. We were created to work. Did you know that? We were created to have dominion. We talked about that in the last series. To explore and to build. This life is not, uh, is not a waiting room. It's an opportunity. 
This world is not a waiting room. We're just hanging around waiting to get to heaven. There's an old song, I'll fly away. I hate that song. Some people love that. I hate that song. I'm going to fly away. Yay. That's kind of that, that's that kind of like hate of the flesh and material world that I don't love. I think God put you here for a reason, and he's not to fly away. It's to engage, to actually build treasure, not here on earth, but for heaven, to bring as many treasures that you have here, who are the real treasures, your family, your kids, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, to heaven with you. If you just fly away, guess what? They're going to be left here. Now, there's a time for everything, and we will go someday. But while you're here, we're made to work, have dominion, do stuff. Don't be a lazy lump. Get to work. You only have a few days. Well, I'm not, that's not a prophetic thing. I mean, just like, in the, what is this? Like, like This life is like a... Weaver shuttle, it's so fast, it's so quick. Get to business, get, get going on it. Do, it. do what you were made to do. We don't want to be like the evil, lazy servant of Matthew 25, 26, right? Responsibility brings anxiety, right? There's response, we, we, you know, responsibility. Ugh. Responsibility brings anxiety, doesn't it? Yes and no. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he said so. That's not what it says. It says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Yes, responsibility will bring a level of anxiety. Work brings mental um, thought process that you have to put into that work. Yes. It's going to build some, some stress maybe. But he's the outlet for that stress. Why? Because he cares for you. In our human weakness, we will be presented with anxiety. But what does Peter tell us to do when that inevitable sense of anxiety comes? Give it to the God who cares. Give it to the God who cares. I, folks, I'm working on this. I'm not, I'm not, great, I'm not great at this. I have a tendency to take those things into my own hands. And what I'm realizing more and more the older I get is that I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not capable enough to solve my own problems. God is. So why, keep ta- why do I keep taking it out of his hands? He's the one who cares for me. We should give it to him. When we understand that he really does care, then we can move on to Philippians chapter 4, which says this, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's the same passage. It's the same thing casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or you could say it this way. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's the same thing. And then it goes further. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. There's some amazing things that this passage says, and there's some amazing things that it does not say. <laughs> we want it to say things it doesn't say, and we don't want it to say things it does say. What we want it to say is this. When I cast all my anxieties on God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, my problems go away. It's not what it says. Not all the time. We're not, we're not happy with the, with the answer that this gives. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. What does that mean? It means, guess what? The problems might still remain there tomorrow. God's got you. God's got you. Big problems are often not settled in a day. If you're in leadership or you actually uh, have some responsibility, if you are somebody who is laying up treasures in heaven, if you're being a good steward of what God has given you, those are important big things, and those things bring around some big challenges. And we're asking God to put a Band-Aid on them? Just take them away, God, I don't want them. That's not how it works. But the peace of God is guaranteed if you will let it. If you will literally cast your cares on him and not do what I love to do and hate to do at the same time. It's, you know, I give it to God, I leave it at the, the altar, oh, it's there. I left it there. And then the next day I'm like sneaking back up like, Got to keep that one in my hands, and this one too. <laughs> you know, we do that. Got to leave it with him. If we do, he will give us peace that passes understanding. Notice that what doesn't happen when we give our cares to God. The cares don't evaporate. You don't get an automatic clarity of understanding either. It's the peace that passes understanding. What does happen? God gives you his peace. God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That right there is the cure for anxiety. <sighs> Wouldn't that be great? If we could just put that on and let God be God. He's help, he will help you not to move from care and anxiety to worry and depression. Care is a good thing. Anxiety, mm, cast that on, God's, on God, and you won't move into worry and depression. All right, I've got I to wrap this up. The last thing he says is this. Don't worry about tomorrow, right? Because tomorrow going to have enough things to care about, to worry about itself, right? He doesn't say there's not going to be cares and worries and things like that. He says, just don't get too far ahead of yourself. Take care of today. So often we get so far ahead of ourselves that we get overwhelmed. That's me. I have every sermon planned out until Christmas. Did you know that? 
I got every sermon that we're going to be talking about planned out. Now, it's not written yet, but it's, you know, planned out. I like to get ahead of myself. I like to get down the road. I like to, sometimes that's not good because you're thinking so far ahead that those worries of tomorrow become the worries of today along with today's worries. When God, uh, when God was working with the Israelites' nation, right, what did he do? He's trying to get them to understand the, the rhythms of life. They were slaves for hundreds of years, and he's trying to get them to understand what it's like to be free people. And he's trying to get them to understand the rhythms of life. And what does he do? He gives them manna, but just enough manna for the day. He wants them to understand that they need to daily rely on God to take care of their needs. And he wants us to do the same. I could talk about this for a while. I'm not going to. Matthew 6, 21, the last thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We just end on that concept. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. What does that mean? What are you putting your time into? What are you giving your care to? Where your thoughts lie most of the time? What's important to you? These are the things that we treasure. So my question to you is this. If we were to recalibrate those thoughts, if we were to think about our thoughts, where do they, what direction do they lead? Do they lead to a little G-O-D or to the big G-O-D? Are they directed in a, in a place that will actually help you, will give you peace, will help you to thrive, will actually build treasure that will last forever? Or are they... Are they focused on things of this earth that can never really satisfy, promise a lot, deliver very little, and then will become rust and dust? So as we think about our thoughts, where do those things go? Now, I'm not saying that you have to spend all your time, you know, uh, pastor says I got to spend all my time praying. All my times need to be praying. I got I to stop going out and having a good time with my my friends, that's not cool. That's not, you know, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. There are many good things out there that God has given you. Where are you putting your focus and attention is the litmus test for which God you are serving. That's all. And I'm telling you, if you make the capital G-O-D your God, your life will be fuller your mind will be healthier and your world will not end when this life is over. That's the God I want to serve. I'm not great at it all the time. Some days I'm better than others. Anybody can relate to that? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what this means. It's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a thick teaching. It's got a lot of layers to it. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to 
to take a, uh, a nugget of gold from this amazing sermon today that we can apply to our Monday. Help us to think in terms of the things in our lives, the thoughts that we think. Are they elevating the little G-O-D that's all around us? Or they are, are they in sync with the capital G-O-D, Yahweh, Lord? Are they in sync with the way he made us to live? Will they bring us peace? Will they continue beyond the grave? Help us to pour more and more of our life into that stream and less and less into the things of this world. Lord, I thank you for this grouping today of brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we ask you to just help us to to clean our minds, to give us peace that passes the understanding that we have, the circumstances that we're in, the frustrations that we go to. Help us to lay all those things at your feet. Why? Because your word says you care for us. Help us to not only read it, but to believe it and not take it back. And Lord, I thank you that you've not left us alone, that you care even about what we eat and what we wear. Even those elemental things of life you want to provide for us. Thank you. We worship you. We thank you for this teaching today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.